Hey, good morning, everybody. It's been so exciting already this morning since we started, and then Wayne and Deb get up here, and it's like, why don't you preach this and just keep it going? It's like, I am actually really looking forward to sharing and going deep in the Bible with all you, because today's, I've been excited all week, because this story is like in my top five in the Bible, so, but I'm not just going to share this story with you today. I actually want you to join, I actually want you to go with me into this story today, so, so get excited about that. Before we get going to our guests, my name is Brian, I'm our lead pastor and this worship guide that you've heard us reference a couple of times here, there are these notes on the back. We're gonna go into God's word, Matthew 16 together today and this is kind of an outline that you can fill in the blanks and kind of carry, just jump along with us here but it's a framework of what we're sharing as we go into the biblical story today. So I am excited because I get to go full Bible nerd today and uh, I want you to join kind of going Bible nerd with me. Would you do that? Can I get one Amen. All right, and those online, we're really glad you're with us today too. Uh, these sermon notes and everything are attached there on our Facebook page and also on our website. You can just jump along with us. So this sermon series, yeah, so turn with me. Grab your paper copies or your, or your app on your phone and go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're gonna kind of hang out today. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. And let me catch this up. We've been in this Bible, this sermon series called Mission Possible, talking about mission and kind of maybe rattling your definition of really what mission is. Week one, we started with where does mission come from? We talked about we're on a mission from God. Mission is from God. It originates from Him and it's a movement of his love to his creation is humanity and a church carries that mission today and so that was week one we talked about what is mission week two we talked about your mission should you accept it so what is the mission of the church and we came out with this bold statement that mission is our primary identity what that means as a church is our primary identity everything we do is for this focus of our mission everything that we do and so that was, yeah, week one, what is mission? Week two, what is it to us as a church? This week, where is it? Where is mission? Where is mission? So I think you're going to really enjoy this today. Uh, and so Kara and I, we just got back from sabbatical a whole summer, eight weeks. Uh, we just got back about two, three weeks ago. And when our sabbatical started, the first place, like two days after our sabbatical started, we took off for Israel. I was taking a graduate class, and we kind of went there and ran around Israel together, and um, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, so ever since we got back, people have been asking, I want to hear about Israel. And I would just tell them, well, go, <laughs> go, because it's really hard to explain Israel. But what I can tell you from our trip to Israel, Kara would agree with me, is that we're never going to read the Bible the same to touch, feel, and move amongst. Uh, the, the actual graduate class was the footsteps of Jesus. We kind of really followed in the steps of Jesus through from the north to the south, all the way through Israel. We're all over the place. But so many people have been asking, I so want to hear what it's like. And so today's that day. I'm going to tell you one place we went that's at the center of this story. And so there's one place that, I mean, we were in Nazareth. We were, we were in Jerusalem, we were around all around the Sea of Galilee, Magdala, Capernaum, all these really cool places and just and just watching things kind of come alive. But there was one place the whole trip, Kara kind of knew this, that I was more excited about than any other that I couldn't wait to get to, because it's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. And that place is Caesarea Philippi. I was so jacked 
about going there, and we got to go there. So let me show you a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. Let me get out my handy-dandy laser light. So this is a map of Israel, and this is actually a first-century map. So this is like during Jesus' time, just to kind of give us a bearing, but Caesarea Philippi has not moved in 2,000 years, so it's still accurate here. So Caesarea Philippi, if you look up here, here's the big arrow. It's way up here in the northern end of Israel, way at the base of here of Mount Hermon. It's a huge mountain. Mount Hermon's 9,200 feet. It's at the base of it right there. So kind of give you your bearings. Uh, we talk about Jesus grew, grew up in Nazareth. That's in Galilee, the northern, around the dead, uh, sorry, around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum's about right here, which is kind of his central base in most of the Gospels. And every once in a while then, Jesus would come down the Jordan Valley and come up here to Nazareth is down here in Judea. They'd go around Samaria and around here, and then they would hang out during the festivals and stuff, and then they would go back up. And he spent most of his time up in Galilee. So this is way up north, the very north end of the Israelite uh, nation. The place Caesarea Philippi, to kind of give you a, when Jesus was born, we hear of Herod, King Herod, Herod the Great. He's Herod the Evil, but he's King Herod the Great. He built all this stuff, all these things. He died, and that's, you know, Jesus fled to Egypt with his family as an infant. They come back after Herod dies, but then Herod divides up Israel. They divide up amongst his three sons. So his son, Herod Philip, actually controls and rules king over this area, kind of up here. So King Herod, Philip, built Caesarea Philippi. And we know he built it because he named it after himself. He named it, um, it, it literally means Philip's Caesarea. So he named it after Caesar, Caesar Augustus, and he named it after himself, and he built up quite a place there in Caesarea Philippi. And so we kind of went up there to check it out. Today there's not really a city there. It's a big park, not much up there other than what I'm going to show you here. So let me, so Kara and I went up there, traveled with our group, and so when you approach Caesarea Philippi, this is what it looks like, just to kind of give you an idea today. So this is just two months ago. So you have this 100-foot cliff right here. 100-foot cliff, it's about a football field long, huge cave, they would call it a grotto. A huge grotto right here. Um, and then notice this alcove that's still there. And then we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So this is what Caesarea Philippi, actually the village of Caesarea Philippi is kind of behind the crowd. It's close to this, but this, this prominence just is, you can't miss it. This is why people come here is this thing. So, so that, that's there. Let me make sure I cut everything. There is a, uh, a spring. So this is at the base of Mount Hermon. So all water comes downhill. This huge spring came out of this cave. And it would, there's, you, you'll actually see there's, a, there's this big stream here. It's one of the three streams that feeds and becomes a Jordan, which is a central part of the whole biblical story. So, but a, an earthquake in like 365 AD, now the stream comes out from underneath the cave. But it used to be when you went in the cave, this huge stream came out. You'll see how much water flows here in just a minute. But it was a bottomless, like, pit cave and they would sacrifice in there. So it's kind of freaky too. So here's a video that we shot, Karen and I shot, just to give you an idea of how big this wall is when you're walking by it, and, and the cave itself, and you can maybe hear some birds chirping, and it's pretty. Again, there's the grotto, the cave, and then the alcove. That's how much water is coming out of the spring at the base of that cave. So it's impressive when you've got a big mountain like that. So yeah, so that's Caesarea Philippi today. And so you may say, well, big whoop, what <laughs> what's with the big rock face and what, is that, what does this really mean to us today? Well, Jesus took his disciples there 2,000 years ago and they went on a journey all the way up there and there was a major showdown that happened there and one of the most dramatic, what I believe, in the gospel accounts, one of the most dramatic events that ever happened 
And in this dramatic event, we're going to walk through it together again, is what happened here also is Jesus describes the very question we're trying to answer today. Where is the mission of the church? Where are we to go? And that gets answered here. And so let me take you not in 2022, but let's take you backwards. So here's your first sermon note to kind of outline today. Jesus took his disciples out of their comfort zone. We've got to understand that Jesus said, hey, we're, we're out of Capernaum. We're going to go on a walk. It's 25 miles. Now, Capernaum is, is, is about 200 feet below sea level. And so if Mount Hermon's 9,200 feet, it's all uphill. I'm not sure. It's about 1,600 feet when they get there, but it's all uphill, 25 miles. He says, come with me, disciples. He takes them with him, and he goes on this long walk. And where they're going, if the disciples knew, they would have known this. Good Jewish people do not go to Caesarea Philippi. And so he takes them up there, and, and they get to this place, and starting in Matthew 16 there, if you, if you in your gospel, in your, in your Bible, jump with me to verse 13. This is where our story starts. It's amazing is that there's only six verses here, and if you just skim through it, you're never going to understand that. But we're going to take these six verses and just make them burst in technicolor of an amazing thing is happening here. So here we are. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Okay, let's start here. So Jesus, with this backdrop, those pictures I showed you, gets up there in that rock face, the grotto, the streams, and Jesus asks this pretty simple question. It seems like a really mild question. Who do people say I am? Now, what's interesting is Jesus says, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's one of Jesus' favorite ways of calling himself. He calls himself two things, the Son of Man and the Son of God, and both are right. He is the Son of Man, fully human, and he is the son of God. And so we see both those characteristics. So he says, who do they people say the son of man is? And they respond. It says, they replied. So I believe maybe John over here says, well, I think they said, I've heard people compare you to Elijah. And maybe, maybe uh, um, one of the other disciples says, well, I've heard John the Baptist. And they're all kind of throwing those things out. Others say Jeremiah. They all kind of speak back to him. They're all talking about, they're saying, you're not him, those guys reborn. They're comparing you to, they think you're a new prophet like them. So everybody thinks you're just kind of a new prophet, like a very special person, but, but a prophet. And so coming back, why would Jesus ask this question? Why would he ask this simple question, who do people say I am? Well, I think it's important to you that you look at my pictures of 2022, what Caesarea Philippi looks like. Let me show you a picture of actually what it looked like when Jesus was there with his disciples. This is what it looked like. This is the 100-foot rock face. Here's the grotto, the cave. Here's, remember that little alcove I told you? Hey, check that thing out. It's right here. And here's all these temples. Now, not all these temples were there, but several were in Jesus' time. Others were built a little bit later. So this is the backdrop when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? So let's, this is an artist's depiction based on archaeology of what they've unearthed there. So let me share the first thing here. This building in front of the cave this is what we call the Augustium. It is a temple to Augustus Caesar. So Herod, Philip, built this so people could come worship Caesar here. And you would come in and go up these stairs and worship Caesar, and then you would walk through to the caves, and you would actually sacrifice goats into that water. 
And so why is Augustus Caesar? So, so let me tell you a little bit about Augustus Caesar because I think this is important. Augustus Caesar is the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Augustus Caesar, at the time Jesus goes there, is dead. Tiberius is the new emperor. But Augustus Caesar came after Julius was murdered. Julius Caesar was a dictator, but Augustus, his adopted son, is actually named emperor. Now what's interesting is when Julius Caesar died, the Roman people deified him. They said he is actually a god, the only emperor at that point that had ever done that for. They deified him saying Julius Caesar was a god. So now Augustus Caesar comes to rule. And let me show you a coin. Now this is a denarius. This is Augustus Caesar. So whenever you were emperor, a denarius is a day's wage. They would mint these for every emperor. And so this is, there were several for Augustus and several different ones. But what's interesting here is I want to show you right here. You probably can't read it, but it's Latin. It says D-I-V-I and then the letter F. Divifilius is what, it's an abbreviation for Divifilius. And what in Latin that means is son of a god. So Augustus following Julius Caesar, who is, who is God, Augustus Caesar, this temple, go back to Cory, that temple picture, this temple is built to the son of God. Starting to see the picture? And it's interesting, any good Caesar after that was normally deified and became a god. So Philip builds this temple and says, we can come here and worship Caesar. It's funny, he's the king of Israel. And yet he goes up here and just builds this place up. This next place right next to it is called, it's an outdoor uh, shrine. Remember I showed you that one little alcove. It's cut and it would have had a big statue in there. This is the out, outdoor shrine to Pan. Pan is a Greek god. Pan is a Greek god that this, this is what he looks like. Ugly dude. So he's, he's half human, half goat. And so his legs and hindquarters are out of a goat, has the horns of a goat. But the Pan god, the god Pan has been, he even paid pan flutes this is where the pan flute comes from he was worshipped there for hundreds of years this, this whole site is actually built to him so they've been coming here for hundreds of years worshipping pan pan is a Greek god of fertility the Greek god of the outside and he's a Greek god of shepherds kind of in interesting as a matter of fact if you go here today the name of the area on the map is not Caesarea Philippi it's Panias named after Pan still but you'll find out it's not spelled P-A-N-I-A-S it's spelled B-A-N-I-A-S because in the Arab language they don't have P's <laughs> so you go there today you look up on the map it's Panias but still named after Pan the Greek god so okay so we got that worship center this is a temple of Zeus that they built the Greek god of power uh, and and um and I'm not sure that one was there. We believe that was around 100 AD. Uh, over here you have three more temples. The temple of Nemesis, who was the uh, Greek goddess of retribution. You have here the temple of Pan and the dancing goats. This place was a massive pagan worship center that people would come from all over to worship these gods. The Greek culture continues, Rome continues to ride with it. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the backdrop where Jesus says, who do people say the son of man, the son of God is? Brilliant, isn't it? Like all of a sudden the story really opens up. All right. I get so excited about this. 
Did I catch everything? Blah, 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 blah. So yeah, so then let's just, let's jump back into now verse 15. So Jesus changes the question. He says, who do people say I am? They say, well, they all are saying these prophets, things like that. And then Jesus changes the question in verse 15. He says, then he asked them, the disciples, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are, this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, that's a big statement here because all these gods are dead. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, this is not how Jesus replied. Uh, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. He did not learn this from any human being. Jesus was jacked. He said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. The Holy Spirit revealed Jesus' role as the son of the living God to him. So Jesus is stoked because the disciples are getting it. Peter says that at risk because he's denying the divine status of Caesar right there, which could cost you your life. Peter says, you're the real son of God. You're the real shepherd. It's interesting, Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. They're calling him Peter now, but that's his original name. And he says that, I think, to say that you didn't get this from your dad. You got this revelation from God. So it's kind of cool. A lot of wordplay there. The next moment in this scripture, a short scripture verse, the next moment, the dramatic story reveals the answer to our big question today. Where is the mission of the church? So let's jump to verse 18, our last verse. And Jesus continues. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, which means rock. His name means rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I switched translations here. I went to ESV from NLT. And the reason, because actually SVT nails, ESV nails it a little bit better here with the right word. Your Bible there may say the gates of hell. Kind of accurate, but there's a better word here and we'll talk about it in just a minute. So Jesus says, and I tell you, Peter, after you that great confession of who I am, Peter, Peter, your name means rock and on this rock and we'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter's name in Greek does mean Petros, means, or Petros, excuse me, means rock. In the, in the Aramaic, Cephas was his name, which also means rock. Now here's, a lot of things happen in this verse, and uh, what's interesting, he says, your name, Peter, which is Petros, is rock, but on this rock, he uses a different version of the word Petra, which is a female version of it. Petros is single rock, which you kind of look at this. Petros is a group of rocks. It's kind of interesting to know that difference a little bit. He uses a little bit of wordplay, but I think what's interesting is, can you pop that verse back up there for me? He says, and for those of us like me that come from a Catholic background, we believe that he's saying, in a Catholic form, they believe that Peter is the first pope, and this is a sentence that kind of clarifies. He says, we're gonna build this, Jesus says, we're gonna build the church on you. You're the rock, Peter. But, but as I look at this and go through, there's not many people that agree with that. Um, Jesus didn't build the church on anybody but himself. He's the cornerstone. And so I'm not being mean here. I'm just saying that this is where we kind of see that a deviation a little bit. He says, Peter, your name means rock. But then he says, but on this rock, and he's, he's got to be pointing right behind him at this 100-foot cliff with all these false gods. On this rock, we're going to build the church. And the reason why Jesus 
is also using imagery because he's the rock. He is the cornerstone. If, if you'd write down in your Bibles right there, you write down your notes, write down Ephesians 2.20, this, this clarifying verse, together we are his house. Together we are all stones built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and a cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Jesus is a cornerstone. He's saying, Peter, you're the rock. You're that next level foundation. The apostles are gonna be the next level of the foundation. They're gonna start the church and then we're all the living stones that pile on top of it. That's us. We're all the stones and the rocks. You and I are too to build the church. And I just think this is really clear. He says, Peter, I'm the cornerstone. You're gonna be in the foundation and everybody else is gonna build this church and we're gonna build this church right on this rock where all this darkness and evil exists. This is where we're gonna build the church. And then Jesus says, and even the gates of Hades. So Hades means death. If you wanna see the best translation, it's hell's okay but the gates of Hades, that cave, when all those pagan worshipers go there, they believe the gods come in and out of that cave. That's how they transfer between the two worlds, and it's commonly called the gates of Hades. And Jesus says, on this rock, this 100-foot thing, all those pagan worshipers, we're gonna build our church here, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Now, you gotta understand, this is not a defensive statement